I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to a Cinematic Universe Megasode, the podcast that's all about comic book movies which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host Joe Cunningham and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between, um, well I've kind of lost track at this point, a bunch of our episodes, um, but mainly between I think Fantastic Four and The Avengers. Um, I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on the Tank Girl and Fantastic Four podcast, which is why this is a megasode. Um, and yeah, a little bit of housekeeping up top. Um, the schedule has been a bit fuzzy for, for ever since the Tank Girl episode. There was the Iron Fist uh, bonus episode in there as well. Um, and because we've done some funky pre-recording with our Avengers and Fantastic Four episodes and we've had to play around with the schedule a little bit, um, the schedule has all got a little bit messed up. Um, but there will be an Avengers episode released um, within the next few days. That'll be out this week. Um, and then obviously, if you're paying attention to the um, release schedule, there is a big comic book movie being released this week as well. Um, at least there is in the UK. And we will have have that podcast for you um, at some point next week. Uh, we're hoping to record on Monday night, so it'll hopefully be with you uh, not too long after that. So that's what's happening with the upcoming schedule. Um, obviously, that means it's probably unlikely that there will be another mini-sode in between the Avengers and the other film. I'm not spoiling it. You've got to wait for the post credit sting. That's all the fun, isn't it? Um, so we're unlikely to get the mini-sode in there, so it might be that another mega-sode follows that. Um, and then we've already scheduled in a bunch of films for over the summer um, that we are hugely looking forward to getting to in between all of the big releases. Uh, but that's it for the housekeeping. Uh, let's move on now and look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past few weeks. And there's a lot to cover here. There's some stuff that we have uh, covered on our main episode. Some of this stuff will also be on our uh, um, Avengers episode, but it's always good to be able to discuss it with Seb and James as well. And um, we'll start off with uh, some of the most recent news, which is that three X-Men movies, three movies set within the X-Men universe, are set to be released in 2018. Um, now, some of these we knew about already, some about some of them we expected, and... Um, I think it's just the fact that all three of them have firm release dates and that they're fairly ambitious that is the, the noteworthy thing here. Um, so we'll start off with the one that we knew. Deadpool 2 is coming next year. That's coming on June the 1st. Um, 
that we've expected for some time and uh, yeah that date is now confirmed. The earliest one of the three is New Mutants which is going to be released on April 13th. Now obviously that doesn't seem too far away from, in fact it's less than a year from now, but we do know from uh, Josh Boone who is directing the film that the film has been in pre-production for some time. Um, we're fairly certain that Maisie Williams is part of the cast as Wolfsbane. Um, I think it seems at this point very likely that Alexandra Shipp and James McAvoy are involved, involved with the film in some way. Um, and also that Anya Taylor-Joy has probably been cast as magic. It seems like everything that was in a very early leaked report about New Mutants has come true. And it will be a case of the other characters either being cast or just their casting being announced. Um, I think that film is all but ready to go and we are just waiting to hear probably about some less well-known actors stepping into the smaller roles on the rest of the team. Uh, so yeah, New Mutants April 13th, I'm confident that we are going to see that. Um, and the final one that I don't think there's any chance we won't see either is um, X-Men Dark Phoenix. So basically what I'm saying is I don't think there's a gambit in this lineup. Um, X-Men Dark Phoenix is what we previously thought was going to be called X-Men Supernova, but it's confirmed that the next main X-Men movie is going to be released next year, November the 13th, and it is going to be telling the Dark Phoenix story. Um, we'll see if they get it right this time. I mean, really, they had their chance... Uh, 10 years ago, didn't they? And got it badly wrong. Um, and I think the X-Men universe at that point was primed for a Dark Phoenix story in a way that this current iteration isn't, or it doesn't seem as obviously ready for it. It felt like the Phoenix stuff was shoehorned into the end of Apocalypse, which obviously was a movie that I didn't like very much. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm hugely excited to see the Dark Phoenix story again or this soon with that character. Um, having said that, it does sound like we're probably going to space and um, it depends what rights to various alien races that the uh, that Fox own the uh, rights to that we might see in this film. Uh, the Shi'ar is the one that I keep seeing uh pop up. Um, that's that's a, an alien race that are going to uh, crop up in one of our comic book recommendations later. Um, but I think that probably races like the Skrulls are tied up in who owns what and maybe no one can use the Skrulls rather than uh, either Fox or Marvel being able to use them. Whereas the Shi'ar seems like it's probably safer to be in the X-Men uh, in the X-Men realm. So yeah, that's probably what to expect from... Uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix, I would say of the three, that's the one that I'm looking forward to the least. Um, and I think I'm looking forward to New Mutants the most. Um, I, I'm hoping they do something different with that. And Josh Boone has seemed very passionate about that project for some time. Um, so yeah, three X-Men movies in 2018. And I'm staking my reputation on them all being released in 2018. Um, but yeah, let's wait and see. Still no sign of Gambit. Um, over to Mar the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Um, there's a bunch of Guardians of the Galaxy news out there. We're going to touch on a couple of little points, but I'm not going to go near anything that is related to the actual plot of the film or even vaguely spoilerific. Um, I haven't seen the film yet. I'm fairly certain that something that has been innocuously re referred to in reviews is a big spoiler. Um, I might be wrong but we'll have to wait and see on that. But I'm going to avoid anything that could potentially be a Guardian spoiler because we're seeing the film in such a short space of time that why why dig into those spoilers at this point um 
the one thing that I think it is safe to report on is that James Gunn has been confirmed as the director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, obviously, that confirms that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is happening, um, which shouldn't be a shock to anyone. Uh, But James Gunn had talked about maybe walking away after the second one. I'm not sure that anyone ever believed him, but yes, he will be returning for the third instalment. And there's a little... um, Side piece of news uh, related to that, it seems also very likely that Scott Derrickson is going to be returning for the Doctor Strange sequel. Nothing's been confirmed, but um, apparently everything points in that direction. Um, On the subject of the Avengers, though, we know that the Avengers 3 is going to be titled Infinity War, but that the Infinity War sequel, Avengers 4... We don't know the titles that yet because it might be a spoiler, says Kevin Feige. Um, But then Zoe Saldana at the Guardians of the Galaxy premiere seemed to give away that it was called Infinity Gauntlet, which doesn't seem like that much of a spoiler other than that Thanos is able to assemble the Infinity Gems, which, yeah, I'm kind of expecting that. Uh, So maybe Infinity War 2 is called Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, Maybe it's not because maybe it might be more of a spoiler than that. But unless it's called Avengers 4, colon, some of the Avengers you know and love are dead, um, I, I can't see it. I can't see it spoiling too much. We know where this Infinity Gauntlet stuff is going. Um, the biggest news, I would say, coming out of the MCU since we last recorded is that Captain Marvel has um, two directors. Ryan Fleck and Anna Boden are directing Captain Marvel, and that was news that I was very, very happy to hear. Um, if you're not familiar with any of their work, um, they were probably most famous for directing Half Nelson, the Ryan Gosling starring movie about a teacher, a high school teacher with a drug problem, which was Oscar nominated. That was their first film, I believe. Um, they also did It's Kind of a Funny Story, Sugar, which is a story about a Dominican, uh, baseball prospect, which I am positively evangelical about. If you can find that film, track it down and watch it because it's brilliant. Um, and most recently, Mississippi Grind, which starred Ryan Reynolds and um, Ben Mendelsohn and Sienna Miller and Anna Lee Tipson. I think they're the, the four main stars of that one, um, which um, I've watched recently and is also very good. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm a, a, a big fan of this uh, this decision uh, for Fleck and Bowden to direct Captain Marvel. Obviously, they haven't directed anything on this kind of scale before, but neither have most of the directors getting hired to uh, direct big blockbusters nowadays so I think uh, it's just got to be a case of do I like the stuff that this these people have done before, do I like the way they treat characters do I like their general uh, tone and approach to storytelling I very much do for Fleck and Bowden so I am totally on board with them directing Brie Larson in a Captain Marvel movie the last piece of MCU news, um, obviously we got a Thor Ragnarok trailer um, Seb and James and I actually recorded a Patreon exclusive reaction to that the day after it was released. Um, I mean, basically, it was us fawning over how brilliant it looked and uh, saying everything that everyone on the internet was saying as well. Um, the one, the, the one thing I think about Thor Ragnarok that's been notable since that trailer was released that Taika Waititi revealed um, that he has a role in the film. He'll actually be playing Korg, who is the like rock monster character who features in the Planet Hulk comic. Um, Korg was actually at the start of Thor The Dark World, um, as he was fighting with Thor, I think Thor smashed him into lots of pieces, uh, but Taika Waititi is going to be playing him this time, and it seems like those scenes are going to be the ones where we also see Meek, who we uh, 
already knew was part of the film and is another character from the Planet Hulk storyline. Um, but yeah, Taika Waititi having a small part in the film is also um, an encouraging sign. Everything about everything we're hearing about Thor Ragnarok sounds pretty amazing right now. Um, and after that trailer, we are all three of us very, very high on Thor Ragnarok. Um, moving back over to the X-Men side of things and to Deadpool 2 again, Josh Brolin has been cast as Cable. Now, I know what you're thinking. Isn't he already Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Um, yes, he is. And no one involved at either Fox or Marvel seems particularly concerned about that. Um, I guess they're very different characters. They're both going to be hidden under different levels of potentially CG and makeup and all that jazz. Um, I personally thought that given some of the other names that were being bandied around for Cable, I immediately, immediately reacted with a little bit of disappointment to the Josh Brolin news. Having said that, in retrospect, I think if he wasn't already Thanos, um, I, I think no one is too fussed that he was already Jonah Hex, but I think if he wasn't already Thanos and Josh Brolin's name had come out of nowhere to play Cable, I would have gone, oh, that's, yeah, that's, that fits. I can see that. I can see him being great with Ryan Reynolds. I will look forward to watching that unfold. Um, Unfortunately, because he is Thanos as well, I think it's it, it, it seems slightly disappointing. Um, and obviously Infinity War and uh, Deadpool 2 are both going to be coming out next year. So there's not going to be much time in between these. And I think it's probably going to give people who uh, uh, are critical of the ubiquity and the uh, the kind of similarity being between a lot of comic book movies, um, some ammo next summer when it comes to writing those hot takes. Um, but yeah, Josh Brolin is Cable and Thanos and Jonah Hex and any other comic book movie role you want to give him. Um, over to DC now, Dolph Lundgren has joined the cast of Aquaman. He's going to be playing King Nereus, um, who apparently is someone who claims Mira as his own and wants to kill Aquaman. Um, so whether that's the main villain of the movie, I'm not sure. Um, but Dolph Lundgren, one-time Punisher, and current star of Arrow, I believe, although I've thoroughly dropped off uh, the Arrow train. Um, he's, yeah, he's getting back involved with uh, with comic book movies. Um, we'll move over to TV now. There is a bunch of TV news, um, and we'll start off with the news that Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg will be writing and directing an adaptation of Robert Kirkman's Invincible. Now, I don't know a lot about Invincible, but Robert Kirkman is the guy behind The Walking Dead, and apparently this is his other big comic, and uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg obviously behind Preacher, uh, so they've they've got a bit of a, of a track record at this point, and yeah, they're going to be doing Invincible. Um, over to Preacher, though, that show is back on June 25th. I'm hugely looking forward to that. I'm quite. I'm hoping that we'll be able to get a Preacher Season 1 um, bonus episode in the books before that show comes back on June 25th, because I binged all of Season 1 earlier in the year and uh, grew to really like it after struggling on a first watch. So that is back, and Season 2 is promising a big old road trip uh, with um, some some good old sing-songs in the car and more of the same kind of uh, religious, uh, violent stuff that we saw in Season 1. Um, I'm looking forward to more Preacher. And uh, yeah, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, double news item this week. Um, also a double news item, Scott Derrickson, because um, as well as the news that he is uh, expected to return for 
Doctor Strange 2. Um, it's the news that he is uh, directing a lock and key pilot. That we already knew, but what we didn't know is that, uh, who was going to be making the lock and key pilot, and that is going to be Hulu. Um, the pilot has been ordered by Hulu, and if the pilot is a success, lock and key will be ordered to series there. Again, a comic I don't know a lot about. I believe it was written by Joe Hill, um, the, the the son of Stephen King. Uh, but yeah, lock and key heading to Hulu with Scott Derrickson directing. Um, here's some exciting uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe TV stuff now. The New Warriors lineup was announced, um, as well as Squirrel Girl, who's yet to be cast. Um, we are going to be seeing Night Thrasher, Speedball, Microbe, Mr. Immortal, and Debris. Um, I am uh, familiar with a few of those characters. I think Night Thrasher, uh, Speedball, Microbe, and Debris were all involved in the uh, Scotty Young drawn. Uh, pre-Civil War version of New Warriors that I read. I haven't read any other New Warriors, um, but that's a more comedic take on the concept, and uh, that sounds like what this show is going to be. It's going to be a half-hour sitcom, so including a bunch of characters from that run on the comic makes a lot of sense. Um, Microbe's a really fun character who can talk to germs. Debris can kind of move around dirt and debris. Uh, Speedball is the guy who causes the accident at the start of Civil War, but he's got, like, these these like balls that come out of that sorry um <laughs> and obviously they're all going to be teaming up with squirrel girl as well um i'm hugely looking forward to this show and i can't wait to see who kevin beagle casts as squirrel girl i'm hoping at this point it's someone unknown and um that is kind of like a, a, another teenagey kind of lineup i think that'll be really fun for this team um Another tidbit that did come out about that show was that they were developing a Squirrel Girl show and that the New Warriors were kind of added to it as it was being developed. So I do fully expect this to be a Squirrel Girl show with additional characters in the background who make up the New Warriors. Um, the other Marvel TV show that is on its way to the same network, in fact, Freeform, is Cloak and & Dagger. And we got our first trailer for Cloak & Dagger, which looks like a properly angsty teen romance um, which I am completely fine with. That's It's probably not a show that has been made with me as an audience member in mind, but it's a take that seems fine for those two characters, like perfectly pitched for those two characters. And this is what I think Marvel should be doing, especially on TV, is pitching their characters to a tone that fits them best rather than trying to fit them into the mould of what the cinema universe is set up or throwing more characters into the Netflix Marvel universe and then having to do them dark and gritty. Um, this this looks like a, a teen-focused, angsty romance and uh, I thought it looked pretty good for, uh, for what it was trying to be. So uh, we can look forward to Cloak and Dagger. Um, we also got our first promo for Krypton, which is the Superman prequel series that is uh, going to be airing on Sci-Fi. It's very brown. Um, it's not a very pretty trailer to look at. I didn't recognise anyone in it, and I'm doubting that I will ever watch another second of Krypton unless, I, to my shock and surprise, a bunch of critics come out and people tell me that it's amazing and that I really need to catch up on it. Otherwise... I don't think Krypton's going to be much for me or for this podcast. And that's not because it's a DC show. It's just because it looks properly bland and kind of like bargain basement sci-fi channel kind of stuff. If I'm proved wrong, then great. But if not, that's the less you're going to hear about Krypton on this podcast.
Um, and finally, Janet Mateer has joined the cast of Jessica Jones Season 2. Um, Janet Mateer, um, an Oscar nominated, I don't think Oscar winning, could be wrong, actress. Um, and I hope that she's playing a villain on Jessica Jones Season 2. I think it would be fun to see Jessica Jones go up against a female villain. Um, but it's um, it's a really talented actress joining the cast of a show that um, I'm looking forward to coming back when it does next year. The Netflix universe, it sounds like after the, the Defenders, we're going to be getting um, The Punisher first, then probably Daredevil, then probably Jessica Jones Season 2, and then Daredevil Season 3. I think that's the way that things are shaping up at the moment. Um, and we'll have to wait and see after that. Uh, but that's it for the news on this bumper news section on our Megasode. We'll move on now to the comic book recommendations from our last two main episodes. <laughs> And we'll start off with the recommendations from the Tank Girl episode, uh, so, we'll, so we'll go through it chronologically. Um, those were The Ballad of Halo Jones from Alan Moore and Ian Gibson, that was Seb's recommendation, and James recommended 21st Century Tank Girl, uh, written by Alan Martin and drawn by um, a whole host of artists. And I'll start with 21st Century Tank Girl because I think it's the one that's going to take me the least amount of time to cover, um, because... I really wasn't a big fan of this. Um, particularly the writing um, I wasn't a fan of. This is, across the three issues that make up 21st Century Tank Girl, there's a bunch of like small stories. There's maybe one or two longer stories and then a few like little page insert stories here and there. Um, and so just looking at this first issue, um, all written by Alan Martin, drawn by Jamie Hewlett, Brett Parson, Warwick Johnson, Cadwell... Jonathan Edwards, Philip Bond, uh, with additional artwork from Jim Marfood and Craig Knowles. Um, and James mentioned to begin with, hey, there's some Jim Marfood stuff in there who was an artist you've enjoyed before, so that's good. That is good. Um, Jamie Hewlett is apparently the guy who um, drew Tank Girl way back when, and so him returning to this was kind of a big deal. And the stuff that he draws is undeniably pretty. And I was looking at his artwork and going, why does this look familiar? Because I don't recognize his name from any comics that I've read before. Why did, why does his style seem familiar to me? Um, and of course, he's the guy that drew the gorillas, uh, the band, the gorillas. Um, and when I realized that, uh, everything fell into place and everything made sense in my mind again. Um, so yeah, there is there's stuff to look at in, across these three issues that is very pretty and uh, especially drawn by Jamie Hewlett, Tank Girl is a really visually interesting character. Um, I just found the stories not particularly interesting and the, the humour to be really crass and dumb. And I, yeah, it, it it just really didn't appeal to me. So I, I'll, in fact, I'll just literally read the first panel of the first story in the first issue. And I, I felt like I was kind of sent, set up from there. So this is Tank Girl in Space's Ace. Space, the final frontier. Frontier. I, I, I don't know why that's, it's a play on words, but I don't know why it's funny. Um, this is the voyage of the Starship Ballbag. It's five-year mission to explore hairy new worlds, to seek out un new underparts and encrusted unmentionables. Actually, that's total bollocks. That's not our mission at all. Um, and then Tank Girl introduces herself. And I just didn't find any of that funny. And I didn't... I, I, I read through the three issues and thought, maybe I'll get into the rhythm of it, maybe I'll get into the flow of it, and I just never did. 
Um, and personally, um, if, if that's what Tank Girl is on the page, I will take the movie every time, please, because I really did enjoy the the film and the comic less so. Like I said, some of it is some of it's very pretty, mostly the Jamie Hewlett stuff. Um, I enjoyed the Jim Marfood bits and pieces. Um, and there, there was other stuff as well, I thought. Oh, that's that's interesting. The, um, there was one story in the first issue that was like the, the Running Man that I thought was... Uh, probably the best story from from that issue um in the second issue there was some stuff with the, the first big story was about a booger the dog creature returning a car that i wasn't particularly interested by um there's a story where tank girl journeys into the center of her tank which is quite fun conceptually but then gets into some weird jokes about her meeting some 1970s british tv celebrities as like the little and large and cannon and ball and then there's kind of a U tree gag at the end of it as well and Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I don't know. This just, it just really wasn't for me. Um, so maybe, maybe if when I read out that first uh, panel of 21st Century Tank Girl and you potentially laughed, then um, I would recommend that you pick up 21st Century Tank Girl and give it a read because it's, it is pretty. And if you get on with the sense of humour of it, then um, I, I can't see why you wouldn't read it. Um, but I personally didn't. Um, we'll move on now to Seb's recommendation from that podcast. And this is The Ballad of Halo Jones from Alan Moore and Ian Gibson. Now, this is uh, made up of five-page comic strips that Alan Moore um, originally wrote for 2000 AD um, in 1984, it says on the Wikipedia page. Um, And it's split up into three books, which are kind of like um, 10 to 12, like five-page issues each uh, between them. I read the first book... um, I'll be honest, uh, the reading for this, one of, one of the reasons this mega took took so long to put together as well was because I found 21st Century Tank Girl, even though it was only three issues, a real drag to get through. And it took me a while to get into the rhythm of The Ballad of Halo Jones. 
Um, I ultimately read the first of the three books. Um, I think I will continue and, well, no, I, in fact, I definitely will continue and read the second and third books, um, but I haven't read them for this podcast. Um, on uh, the the kind of the kind of setup in this first book is that we meet Halo Jones. It's this uh, futuristic uh, America where they live on something called the Hoop, which is it seems like it's a big floating rubber ring that is just off the coast of America. Um, it's a futuristic dystopian society. Um, there are people uh, who are in this cult called the different drummers who um have an implant in their head which like generates a drum beat it got me thinking of doctor who this um but yeah generates a drum beat that they kind of focus on rather than having to focus on the the horrors of the shitty life that they're living um and uh halo lives in a flat with um some other characters there's Brynna uh there's uh, a girl whose name I've forgotten who's um who's a musician and then there's I think it's either pronounced Rodice or Rodice but Halo and uh Rod I'm gonna go with Rodice and then be told I'm wrong afterwards uh they go off on a shopping trip and basically the first book is told uh over the course of one day uh splitting up into just these like I said five page stories of things that are happening to them on this day as they go on this big shopping trip but the shopping trip is the shop is on the other side of the hoop so they have to get there and they have to get back and because the world's so shitty there's a load of threats out there the the transport system to get there is unreliable and uh dangerous in and of itself and Basically, the story is a series of misadventures as they go on this shopping trip and then return from this shopping trip while Things seem to perpetually go wrong. They keep running into bad luck situations, and um, I think the 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 kind of the thing that builds in terms of Halo Jones as a character throughout the first book is that she just takes all of these things in her stride. I mean, the pair of them do really, but like something happens and it's kind of shitty, and it's like, right, well, what about this then? And something else happens, and it's like, well, right, well, what about this then? And just kind of dealing with the crappiness of life and not letting it beat you. And uh, without spoiling what happens towards the end of the first book, by the time they return home with their shopping, uh, something really terrible has happened. And Halo kind of goes, fuck it, I'm not taking this anymore. And I'm getting off of the hoop. And she decides to... um, I think originally she's going to try and go to the mainland to go to uh, what is or was Manhattan. Um, but then she finds a, a there's a luxury space liner called the Clara Pandy that was going to be decommissioned at the start of the book, um, but isn't and um, is looking for kind of an, uh, a hostess to work on the on the space liner. So she signs up to work as a hostess. And the first book ends with her kind of signing up to work there and leaving Earth, presumably uh, never looking back. Um, she also has a, a, a robot dog called Toby who accompanies her on her trip and is joining her on the Clara Pandy. Uh, but Rodice gets left behind. Rodice, I've changed already what I was calling her. Uh, she gets left behind and stays on Earth. Um, and yeah, I, I, I did find, like across the first two or three of these, I found it a little bit, hard to 
get into the rhythm of the story to to kind of feel out the character to figure out what their what their deals were as characters and and what this world was that they were living in by the time they go off on the shopping trip which is like the fourth the fourth uh, strip it's that's when I, I would say I started to get into it I started to get it a little bit more and I started to understand the character and um could kind of understand why Seb would recommend this off the back of Tank Girl of being this that like dystopian world, um, a, a anti-establishment character at the centre of it who uh, kind of ultimately decides that no, I'm not just going to take living in the shitty world and take the circumstances of this. I'm going to kind of shape my own life and make the best out of it in this in this hellhole. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up liking this quite a bit and I'm interested to go and read uh, the next two books. Um, this is all black and white. The art I, I didn't find uh, hugely remarkable. It's it's very it's very dense. It's kind of what I would have imagined a 2000 AD comic strip to look like. Um, but I haven't read any other 2000 AD stuff before, so uh, I don't particularly know where I'm getting that from. But yeah, I would I would uh, give a hearty thumbs up to the Ballad of Halo Jones. Um, we'll move on now to the recommendations from our Fantastic Four podcast, and um, we'll start off with James's recommendation this time, uh, which was um, the Trial of Galactus, which is uh, a collection of a bunch of Fantastic Four comics um, from the original volume. So it collects issues. Um, I had to read them separately, but the uh, the original kind of collection collects Fantastic Four 242 to 244, and then 257 to 262. Um, and it kind of splits up in, in, into about three or four parts. Now, the first part is obvious, the 242 to 244. Um, and in that, a... Former Herald of Galactus turns up on Earth and is basically uh, basically like captures Manhattan and uh, wants to kill everyone on Manhattan and uh, is kind of doing it to get revenge on Galactus as well. And the Fantastic Four, particularly Reed Richards, kind of has to go to Galactus, who is is set up in this story as, as something I hadn't really thought about before of Galactus kind of being. I guess a little bit like a vampire in that he needs to feed and it's not necessarily his fault that he needs to feed on planets. That's just the way he is. And so he doesn't want to go around and kill people and he kind of has to deal with the horror of all the billions of billions he's li of lives he's taken while he's been eating planets over the years. Um, but he will kind of do it if he has to. So I, I, I'd never known that... I, I don't think I've read many stories with Galactus and I'd never realised that he wasn't a character who was was anything but pure out and out evil. So I, I appreciate I appreciated that nuance to that character to begin with. But he kind of comes, helps the Fantastic Four take down uh I think it's Tharax, the, the Herald of Galactus, the former Herald of Galactus. Um they take him down and then but then Galactus kind of decides that he's going to feed on Earth. So there's a big fight with the Fantastic Four. Some of the Avengers get involved. Uh, Daredevil and Spider-Man turn up to watch uh, randomly. I think it's so they could put them on the front of the uh, the front of the issue. Um, Doctor Strange turns up, and ultimately they're able to defeat um, Galactus thanks to Doctor Strange because he makes the kind of the ghosts of all of the lives that Thanos has taken. He makes them kind of like he makes the weight of those lives taken be 
experience by Thanos in one uh, by Thanos by um, Galactus in one fell swoop, and so Galactus has to deal with the kind of the horror of what he's inflicted on all these lives, and his body starts to shut down and he starts to shrink. Um, and basically, all of the Marvel heroes realize that that Galactus is about to die, and Reed Richards says, "Look." we can't let Galactus die. We, death, you know, killing people is wrong, full stop. And yes, this is Galactus, and yes, he's wanted to eat our Earth in the past, but that's just the way he is, and who is it Who is it for us to say that he, he should die? And so they decide to save him, and they do save him. And after they save him, uh, Johnny Storm's current girlfriend, who is like a, a female Human Torch, um who I didn't really know who she was, but she kind of uh, tells Galactus that she will um, become his new herald if she, if Galactus leaves Earth alone and doesn't eat its life force. Um, and so she does, she goes off and she becomes Galactus' new herald. And uh, that's the kind of the story that's contained within the first three issues. Um, when we come back to the story, uh, we see that, that uh, Galactus is still out there uh, with his new heralds, and this is kind of probably a year or so later in in comic book, um, in, in terms of the publication of the issues, um, and Galactus, uh, she finds him a new world to eat, and it's the Scroll Throne world. Uh, so Scrolls, another uh, uh, Marvel race that I was mentioning earlier in the podcast. Uh, now they are baddies um, in Marvel, but. Galactus goes off and he eats the home world and is responsible for like 8 billion people dying, I think. 8 billion scrolls dying as a result of him eating their planet. Um, so that's going on. And then Reed Richards um, is off at the Avengers Mansion. He's having a chat with um, Scarlet Witch because something is wrong with the vision. Um, and then all of a sudden, Reed Richards disappears through a kind of like a wormhole or some kind of hole in the wall and we don't know where he's gone. Uh, There's then like... Three or four issues in the middle of that where the Silver Surfer is involved and Doctor Doom. And it's basically the rest of the Fantastic Four having an interlude story that is kind of bridging the gap and isn't that important. And I kind of scan read them uh, in, in relation to the rest of the issues. Because when you get to the end of issue 261 and then full on 262, that is where really the story reaches the zenith. And this is called The Trial of Galactus, but the single issue 262 is The Trial of Reed Richards. And that's what this whole story has been building to, where some aliens kind of capture Reed Richards and put him on trial and say, you saved the life of Galactus. And that meant that Galactus then went off and killed this planet and he has killed 8 billion people. And so you're responsible for that, Reed Richards. And so the issue is this kind of philosophical breakdown of whether Reed Richards was right to save the life of Galactus, knowing that he was potentially going to go on and take even more lives in the future. And there is an, uh, this kind of existential debate about, you know, is it not... Odin turns up and gives evidence on, on Reed Richards' behalf. It's really bizarre. Uh, this philosophical debate about Galactus is kind of a force in the galaxy he, he and he he is necessary to the universe reaching its ultimate destiny and that Reed Richards was once told that he was not a force for good or a force for evil he was a neutral force and so surely a neutral force should not be removed I think it's the watcher that told him that and 
The Watcher is also part of this issue because he brings the issue's writer and artist, John Byrne. Um, he brings John Byrne, the comic book writer, into the comic. Um, it, it, this is something like in this comic, John Byrne is a comic book writer who kind of tells the stories of the Fantastic Four in comic book form after they've done them. And he hasn't heard from Reed for ages, so he's really struggling to to get a comic put together in time, and he doesn't want to make it up. Uh, but then, yeah, he gets dragged off to be part of this trial and turn up and observe everything. So there's a meta narrative running through the comic as well. Um, and basically, I think this entire this entire story arc is all in service of this final issue, where all of the rest of the stuff is plot, and then you just pause and go, okay, what is the philosophical arguments at the centre of? Do you do you send someone to die do you decide do you have the power to decide someone should die um or do you have the power to save them knowing that they're going to go on and take a bunch of lives um and it's really interesting and the meta stuff with john Byrne and it's really fun and um yeah for a, a comic book of this era um i wasn't expecting much from this story and um early on i was kind of thinking well this is fun this is marvel hijinks there's characters there's there's a bunch of bunch of superheroes outside of the Fantastic Four. There's Galactus. There's a Silver Surfer. This is great and it's fun, and the plot is fine. Uh, but there doesn't seem an awful lot more to it than that. And then the trial of Reed Richards turns up, and you go, Ah, okay, there it is. That is brilliant. Um, and so yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Um, and I would I would say you could probably even just go off and read issue two six two if you want a single issue of Fantastic Four. Um, that kind of, I mean, that the plot is filled in for you. The the situation is established, um, and it's. I think it's Lalandra, one of the Shi'ar, who is most keen on um, on uh, executing Reed Richards for his crime here. Um, like, there's also just nonsense, fun stuff, like Dan, uh, Galactus himself turning up as a character witness, and like I said, Odin turning up to be the ultimate kind of kingmaker in terms of, in terms of this trial. Uh, so yeah, really, really fun issue and um, a fun story overall. So that was the trial of Galactus. Uh, yep, yeah, from John Byrne. And now we'll move on to our final recommendation, and that is Ultimate Fantastic Four. Um, the, this is issues seven through twelve, uh, written by Warren Ellis and uh, drawn by Stuart Immonen. Um, I actually read the first twelve issues of this because. Um, I couldn't resist, and so I read the first six issues, which had uh, were written by Brian Bendis with a story from Mark Millar and um, Andy Huber, I think it is, uh, drawing that first arc. And the first arc is remarkably similar to the Fantastic Four film from last year. Like you can see, beyond the fact that they were young, there are plot beats in that early, in, especially in the first couple of issues, that massively resembled the film that Josh Trank made. Um, and I would say if, if there was anything about the Josh Trank movie from last year that you thought, oh, that's interesting, it's probably in that comic. The comic, the first six issues, is basically a better, more fun version of the movie that Josh Trank ultimately made. So uh, I would I would recommend reading those six before you get to these six. Um, but these six were recommended um, by Seb, I think probably because they are the Doctor Doom story. Um, so in the first six issues, you've had the Mole Man, and he's kind of the main antagonist through there. Uh, like in the film, um, it 
the they get their powers through uh kind of a mistake in a an experiment which sends them briefly into the end zone um where they they and there's body horror kind of stuff with the way that they get their powers and Victor Von Doom is or in this comic he's called Victor Van Dam um is um one of the kids who is learning with them at the Baxter building and it's implied that he is the one who is responsible for the experiment going wrong, that Reed Richards had worked out everything perfectly, then Victor thought he knew better and tinkered with some of the variables, and that's what gave them all their powers. Um, Victor is, in in this in this arc, he does have these weird kind of goat legs. All of his body seems to be covered in metal. It seems like that that's actually his body, that that's what the transformation is, rather than just wearing a mask it seems like his new power is that he's covered in metal head to toe um and he has the doom mask and basically he's decided that um he's going to take revenge on the rest of the fantastic four he doesn't know immediately immediately that they um have powers as well and he kind of creates these little um insect robots to send to manhattan to the baxter building to take them out uh particularly reed who he bl- he personally blames for the accident um Reed wants to find Victor so he can find out what variables he changed what uh, so that he can figure out what the key is to changing them all back. Um, and so, yeah, the, the story is kind of split between uh, Denmark, where uh, Doctor Doom is. Now, Doctor Doom, I think, is still from Latveria. Um, there's a, a kind of a flashback that says he is descended from Vlad Dracula um, and um, that he has this kind of yeah this with this like tyrannical streak running through his family history um but he sets up this commune in in uh in Denmark where these the the locals kind of he sets up a commune where everyone's rent and their accommodation and their food and their electricity is all provided for by him um that he's found a he's found a way to do it i i presume through some kind of scientific means um but when the Fantastic Four find out where he is, they head out to get him, and so do the American army. So the American army wants to get him to kind of make him pay for, well, attacking the Baxter building, attacking Manhattan with these robots, um, whereas the Fantastic Four want to get the information they need to change themselves back. Um, and it's basically it basically ends up being a big throwdown between the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom in, uh, in Denmark. And... Uh, the story isn't hugely complex, but I like the I like the characters here. Like I, again, this felt like another Marvel story where Sue Storm got short shrift. She kind of from the very start was uh, attracted to Reed and hooking uh, up with Reed, despite him being a bit of a tool. Um, and it was about midway through reading this story that I remembered that in Secret Wars, the ultimate version of Reed Richards ultimately became a villain. Uh, called Maker, um, the Maker possibly, and that it did seem to chime with this Reed Richards being a bit more of an asshole, uh, a bit more cocky and arrogant and uh, condescending. I would say sometimes. Um, so yeah, that that kind of that kind of when when I remembered that that made the character make a bit more sense in my head. Um, but yeah, so. Th- uh, Sue kind of gets short shrift. Reed's a bit of an asshole. Uh, Johnny is uh, do, is kind of very Chris Evansy, just going out there and having fun. And the relationship that he strikes up with Ben Grimm very early on is solid. And 
I wonder whether the thing is just one of those characters that is so hard to ever get wrong. Like the Fantastic Four 2015 film didn't do an awful lot with him, but they didn't do an awful lot massively wrong either in terms of the characterization. I wonder whether that's just one of those characters that is just, he's going to work in almost every context unless you massively change what's inherent at the heart of that character and they don't do it here. Um, and yeah, this was another one of those Ultimate Comics and very much the same way as Ultimate Spider-Man that I could absolutely see why when these comics came out with these new, fresh, modern takes on the superheroes that you knew and loved, why they would take off and be popular. And uh, I I thought that uh, Ultimate Fantastic Four was uh, was pretty great. And uh, yeah, I was, I was glad that I read um, all of the first 12 issues. Um, but yeah, so that is it for this week's comic book recommendations and for this week's Megasode. Um, so don't forget that the next episode will be, uh, on the Avengers. Uh, Seb James and I all recorded that in one room. Um, fun and games were had and, uh, we also tried to record an Avengers commentary that went kind of wrong. Uh, but you will hear us explain all of that on our Avengers episode. Um, which, yeah, should be with you within the next few days, and then we'll have another main episode for you next week as well when we get to that new release. But if you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. We haven't asked for reviews for ages, but if you want to go onto particularly iTunes and leave us a review, that would be fantastic, because um, it really does help in terms of growing the podcast and uh, and spreading the message. Uh, but yeah, you can also go to your other podcast app of choice and similarly leave a review there. Um, you can head over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe, where you can support us financially, um, make it possible for, for us to do all of the stuff that we do. Uh, you can find more episodes of cinematic universe at cinematicmultiverse.com, and you can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of days. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code Program.